Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back, Secret Squad. I'm Robin McGraw, and this is a brand new episode of I've Got a Secret. Getting children to eat healthily can be a challenge. When you're up against picky eating, mealtime tantrums, and tight budgets, it can sometimes feel impossible to make sure your child is getting the nutrition that they need. Today, I'm chatting with Jennifer Anderson, the founder of Kids Eat in Color. This fabulous organization helps parents navigate all of the issues I just discussed and so much more. I'm thrilled to get all of her tips and tricks and highlight an organization that is doing so much good for our children. This is the secret to full and happy kids. You are just brilliant. Can I just say that right off the top? You are brilliant. I have been following you on social media. I've read everything about your organization. I'm thrilled to have you today. Well, thanks so much for having me. I am very happy to be here. Well, great. You know, I raised two boys and I right now I have four grandchildren that are just of course, I think adorable and brilliant, and they love their food. And everything you have to say, everything you talk about just is perfect for our family, extended family. So I hope the listeners are listening with both ears and have their pads <laughs> and pencils out because I know everything you share with all of us today is going to make a huge difference in mealtime for everyone. Yeah, well, I love a grandparent who's on board with this because grandparents love to spoil kids. And I love to see that. And I also love it when they're so positive about feeding them as well. Well, I was just telling the girls here in the office about my daughter-in-law, Morgan, and our granddaughter, Ro, was, they were just over at the house, like just a few days ago, and it became dinner time. And Morgan said, oh, I need to get home and, and get, get her fed. She's, she's hungry. And I said, no, let's just go down to the kitchen and, and, uh, fix her something here. And she said, okay, great. And I'll be fast about this because this is about you, not me. But it was a perfect example because I kept thinking of you during this whole experience because we opened the refrigerator and we picked roast chicken, some mashed potatoes and some grilled vegetables out of my refrigerator. And Morgan said, oh, this is great. She chopped up the little of the roast chicken, took some of the mashed potatoes and picked out asparagus because Ro loves all of that. And she puts her she fixes it up. I put her in the high chair. She puts it down in front of her. And Ro just kind of went, mm. she's only 18 months old, so she doesn't have a big <laughs> vocabulary. But she just kind of said, essentially, no, I don't want that. And she, then she points across the kitchen at this big bowl of tomatoes and avocados that I have on my counter. And so long story short, I chopped up the tomatoes. I chopped up some avocado, got in the refrigerator. Morgan chopped up some watermelon. And we traded plates. And that's what Ro ended up eating. And I said, oh, I cannot wait to tell Jennifer this story because we traded two white foods and a, you know, kind of a faded asparagus for this beautiful plate of food and Ro ate every bit of it. I love that so much. And what's so amazing is she saw it there. It was there. And exposure is one of those important things when it comes to feeding kids, because when they see it, 
then they can think about eating it. If they never see it, obviously it's not there. They can't even think of it. And therefore, of course, they can't eat it. Oh, that's so fun to even know. See, I didn't even realize that. Can you talk about your background in public health? Sure. So I um, study public health and, you know, when you're studying public health nutrition, you learn about all the problems and you learn about how to solve them. And then I had my own child. And by that time I was a registered dietitian. I had all these ideals about feeding children and I had my son and nine months into having my son, he was this cute little chubby baby. And then he had learned to crawl. And all of a sudden he started slimming out and the pediatrician said, he is not gaining weight. I was floored. I was shocked. I was devastated. Didn't he know I was a dietitian? Well, it turns out kids do not care about whether you're a dietitian or what, what your job is. And so that became my mission to help my son. When I had my second son, I learned that feeding, by then I knew that feeding kids was tricky and he turned out to be a piggy eater. So it was, you know, one struggle after another, when the oldest one was three, he was off to preschool. And I thought, you know what? I can't be the only parent struggling here. And I started this Instagram account, sharing these lunch boxes. And next thing I knew I had learned, no, I am not the only parent. And now Kids Eat in Color is a team. It's a resource for parents. We have occupational therapists on the team, psychologists, child developmental specialists, and so many dietitians. And it's just amazing to see what it's become all based on that moment of thinking, this is so hard. Wow. I love that you just hold such a common story, such a common issue when you have children, no two children are alike, number one. Mm -hmm. And all mothers think that, okay, I have a chubby baby. And when they start crawling and walking, it's common for them to slim down. And then when that doctor told you he's not eating enough or he's losing too much weight, you were mortified, weren't you? Oh, absolutely. I was like, oh, I'm a failure. I'm a failure as a mom. I'm a failure as a dietitian. Oh my gosh. Not to mention, I was so worried about my son and helping him stay on his growth curve. So many things, such a hard experience when your child is not eating the way that you hoped. We all blame ourselves. We all do it. And now you're here to tell us it's, it's really a very common issue And you've Mm -hmm. created this amazing organization. That's why I said up front, you're brilliant. And everyone that you have collected to come together and created something that's going to help every mother and every child, like I said. So thank you for doing that. I'm so excited for you. So when did you actually get the idea to start Kids Eat in Color? So I... I felt like I had something to offer other parents because I was struggling, I was learning, I was a dietitian, I'd specialized my knowledge. This is 2016. In 2017, in January, you know, a friend said, hey, you should start an Instagram account. You're making those cute lunches to get your child interested in eating. And I thought, okay. So I threw up some pictures of some lunches. And from there, that was the starting point. And, uh, you know, couple of years into it. I'm working full-time supporting my family. I'm also doing Kids in Color full-time. And I thought, I can't keep doing this. I have to come to a point where I can get 
I can do kids eating color full time. And that's when I, I worked hard. I created a program for families who have picky eaters and that enabled me to quit my job and dedicate my career to helping parents. So can you remember what some of those photos were when you first, when some your friends suggest you should post some of these photos of these lunches and you did, can you remember what some of those were? That started oh, absolutely. This whole journey. That first, yeah, that first post is, you know, this cute little tiny, tiny lunchbox. It's green on the outside and there's a cheese that's cut into a flower and there's a little bit of leftover fish from lunch and there's, you know, this high, high calorie lunch, all these little foods packed into a box and this little, you know, plastic uh, leaf toothpick that's stuck into a grape that's cut in half. And you know what? It was it was this this lunch that was packed with so much love, sending to my kid, hoping that he's gonna have enough interest at, at preschool to actually eat it. It was actually an awful picture, you know, yeah. <laughs> the lighting was bad and uh, you know, all this stuff, but I put it up there and it it really kind of captured all of that love that goes into a lunch that a parent is providing for their child. That's so sweet. It makes me think like you packed a party in his lunchbox. So during Absolutely. his school day, he opens it up. There's a party in my lunchbox and it's, it's yeah. a party of love. I love that. Absolutely. So being a parent for the first time is so scary. Before founding Kids Eating Color, what sort of resources were out there to learn about this sort of thing? Well, there were books. <laughs> there were books. Um, and, you know, I read some of those books and obviously I had to specialize my knowledge, but there weren't a lot of picky eating resources out there, even on social media. There, there weren't any picky eating accounts. There, there were some lunchbox accounts, but they didn't take into consideration the fact that my child could not eat that much and he needed every single bite to be high calorie in order to get him the calories that he needed to grow. And I felt like that's what I could bring to the table. You know, here I was calculating calories and seeing how many calories I could get into every single bite. And I was making those lunches and nobody else was doing that. And I felt like I could offer another mom or dad that tool. That's amazing. You know, when I was raising our boys when they were young, uh, just like the, your sons you're talking about now, we didn't even have social media. I call myself the research queen even back then for everything. Like I loved going to the bookstore and sitting down and just going through so many books before deciding which one I would buy and take home and read. And, uh, you know, when we got the internet, I remember loving to go search the internet. But I remember going to the grocery store and standing and looking at all the magazines and looking to see what stories they were giving us for parenting and that kind of thing. So again, that's why yeah. I applaud you so much because this is exactly what new parents and, and parents in general need. Can you tell us about all of the amazing resources your organization offers? Sure. So we have so many accessible free resources for parents. And what I love about every single thing we do is we understand that parenting is hard 
that parents are overwhelmed, that parents may not have a big food budget, or they may not have a fancy kitchen, or they may not have a lot of capacity. Maybe they're struggling with their mental health after having a child. And so they can come to our website and read resources that are going to help them feel confident, empowering, and like they're doing a good job, as well as helping them solve some of these problems from the blog articles to the courses to the free picky eating screeners so parents know, is my child's eating typical or is there something more going on? Everything we do really keeps that mom or dad or caregiver in mind. Oh, wow. This is wonderful. Is there an age group or is it from, from what ages do you really concentrate on? Yeah. So we help parents from that first bite of iron-rich foods for babies all the way through picky eating. And then when they have that elementary school age student who's in sports or you need a lunchbox idea or a lunchbox recommendation from about zero to 10 is where we really provide those resources. Oh, that's wonderful. That is so wonderful because especially when they're in that age where they are starting sports, adding a, a, mm -hmm. some kind of a sport to their schedule, that's so wonderful. Let's talk about picky eating. Is there anything that specifically makes a child a picky eater or is it just luck of the draw? Well, you know, there's a little bit of uh, what I like to call the parenting lottery. You never know what you're going to get there. But there are so many causes of picky eating. There are genetic causes. There are some things that we do as parents that we think we're doing to solve our problems that may make picky eating a little bit worse. There's just some... Te you know, developmental steps that your child is going to go through that's going to, you know, make your 18-month-old say, mm -mm, I'm not going to eat those potatoes, but I do want that avocado, yeah. <laughs> right? That that independence, so many things. There's also developmental things that are going to cause some children to be more choosy than others. There's also sensory qualities. You know, some kids are much more sensitive to smell, to taste. They may have a hard time even sitting in their chair. There's so many things. There's so many factors. And literally, I mean, don't start me on picky eating because I could talk <laughs> about it <laughs> over, you know, yeah. there's a huge list of things that cause picky eating. And I feel like parents get dumped on when it comes to picky eating because, you know, people are like, oh, you're just a bad parent or, you know, you just don't know how to make your child eat. That's not true. That's not what the research shows. The research shows there's so many different causes and we need to be supportive of parents. Oh, I love that answer. I so agree with you. I, I think, you know, we give ourselves a hard enough time. We don't need someone else joining our own battle that we give ourselves. I think we need to support each other and encourage each other. The last thing we need is anyone telling us what kind of a parent we are because they oh, really absolutely. don't know. They really don't know. And yeah. I, I love, yeah. I love that in your answer, you were saying it could be anything from sensory, like maybe we don't know. Like my little granddaughter was 18 months old. She didn't have the ability to say, I don't really want this, but what I want is from over there on that counter. I want some of those tomatoes and those avocados. All she did was look at it and go, mm, no, and point <laughs> over there. So there are just so many different areas and different reasons that a child may be a picky eater. So you cannot blame yourself. Smell, the yeah. way it feels, the way it touches. And I also like that you said, maybe they don't like where they're sitting, how their high chair feels or their chair feels or where they're sitting 
when they eat, the lighting, maybe the sun mm-hmm. is in their eyes and they can't tell you. I mean, there could be so many factors. Right. Yeah. I mean, that foot rest under a child's feet can sometimes make or break mealtime. And it's something that we don't think of as parents. But if your child isn't feeling supported, they're going to be spending all of their their energy on trying to sit upright in that seat. But if you give them a foot rest, a diaper box, a little, you know, some sort of thing tied around their high chair, something for them to rest their feet on, sometimes that can be a huge win for parents and their child's ability to eat. Oh, I love that. I love that. We raised two boys and they were seven years apart. So they went through phases at different times of their life, like seven years apart. I would forget certain things about that Jay went through, a phase that Jay went through when Jordan was going through it. And it was a whole new experience. And I can remember certain things like, oh, you know what? Jay loved to have the TV on when he was eating, but Jordan preferred music played. So mm-hmm. it was it was just I had to remember certain things about Jay's eating habits that were in Jordan did not have the same eating habits. Just Oh yeah, you can be so sure. Funny. Yeah, it's yeah, fun. You can be you can be sure if one child, you know, something works for one child, it will certainly not work for your next <laughs> it's child. So true. <laughs> it's so true. If a child is not responding to a new food, do you recommend that parents continue to expose them to it or move on? Absolutely. Do not give up. This is a long game. Remember, if you stop serving something, your child can never eat it again. And so when they are only seeing a certain set of foods that you are confident they will eat on the very first bite, they are going to start eating less and less foods. So keep at it. Keep serving that. It doesn't mean you have to be wasting food. It doesn't mean you have to put, you know, a pile of food on their plate. You can put one pea on on their plate, or you can have the peas on the table. Exposure doesn't have to mean, um, you know, serving things that your family doesn't even eat. You can be practical about it. You can eat the food. You can model it. All those things are so powerful. Oh, I love that. So a child's taste buds will change. So don't give up if they don't like it the first time they try it. I love that. What are some fun ways to help your child love a new food? So one of the things I like to do is to always serve a food they're familiar with um, next to a food that's new to them. Because when a child starts to eat that food that they're familiar with and they feel comfortable, you have reduced their anxiety, and then they're able to look at the new food with, you know, more of an open mind and say, oh, that's interesting. And then you as the parent can say, oh, Look at that pea. It's green. I mean, as kids are in preschool and they're learning their colors or, you know, your granddaughter is learning what a ball looks like, she can connect to a pea. Maybe she's not ready to eat it yet, but she can tell it looks like a ball or she can tell, you know, as she gets older, she'll be able to tell it's green. Or when she's four years old, she's going to be able to tell a story about a little pea that danced around her plate and you know, and then danced on her nose. There's so many things that we can do with kids to have a little bit of fun. And when we make it fun for kids, they are much more likely to actually eat it. That is so fun. That just took me back to a time when Jay was a baby and he would go to my mother's and she would, she was a phenomenal cook. So she would serve him a meal 
and I would go over, I'd be there, sometimes I'd be there, or I would walk in when she was feeding him. And every time, it didn't matter what she was serving him, she would tell him a story about one of the foods on his plate that related to me when I was a child. And I, I love that so much. I loved that. And maybe it was dessert or whatever, but she would tell him, let me tell you about one time when your mommy was little, I prepared this and she'd point to something on the plate. I prepared this food for her. And then she would go into the longest story. Oh, the <laughs> details. She told so much detail. She said she was wearing this little dress that was pink and white striped. Now, of course, she was making up most of the details. Right. But, but she told him a story that, and his eyes were just huge. And it related to me when I was like his age. And it was the cutest thing. And she made meal times. It was just adorable. And but it was every That's, time she served him a meal, she picked one food on the plate and told him a story about me as a child. It was adorable. What an amazing thing. I feel like she was ahead of her time. She's you know? very creative. Like, she was very creative. Right. So creative. And she, you know, she's making a connection for your child to you, to her. That emotional connection that kids feel during a relaxed, calm meal time goes so far in helping them be interested in the food. I mean, can you imagine what he's now thinking as an adult when he's looking at that food and remembering those stories? What an amazing gift to him. And, you know, think of him doing maybe the same thing for his child or there's well, I so do many that for his children. I do that for his children, Avery in London, when they're, when they're at our, my home and they're eating something, I say, do you know what your daddy, when he was little, do you know what he, how he felt about this food? Or I, I do the same thing. I tell them stories about amazing. their daddy. Yeah. It's, it's, that, it's fun. That is amazing. And you're passing on such a wonderful tradition. Yeah. It's really fun. So you don't suggest creating separate meals specifically for your child's taste, correct? That's true. Yep. Here's the thing. When you're, not to say you can never do this because we are real parents in the real world. And sometimes you're thinking, hey, I want an adult dinner that tastes good. And I know that my child's not going to be familiar with any of these foods. So I'm going to make him this other meal. So that aside, what we want to shoot for is a day to day where our kids are seeing us eat the foods that we want them to eat that modeling. So that's one of the things that was happening with your mother. She's effectively allowing your son to imagine in his mind what it was like for you to eat that food. That is a form of modeling. My guess is she was also eating that food. And if you were there, you were eating that food. And so the more modeling that we can give kids, the more that we can help them imagine themselves eating it and also eat it themselves. When we have these separate meals, what we're really telling kids is we're not expecting you to eat this food. And when we're not expecting them to eat a food, of course, they're not going to eat a food. Instead, we can say things like, oh, well, you can learn to eat it. We can serve that food that they're comfortable with, that they could fill up on, which allows them, again, that safety of knowing, hey, I can eat food. But then it also is challenging them because there are other foods that they're not eating yet on the table. And this sort of exposure, this sort of modeling over time makes a huge difference. Oh, I, I love that. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the 
must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street, essential television. So I started this podcast years ago, and I said, when I do the podcast, there are two things I want to do. One is a drink of the day. And we create our drink of the day in honor of our guest and our topic. So this drink is called Eat in Color Smoothie. And this is the most colorful smoothie, as you can see. Sadly, we're doing this virtually, so I can't hand it oh to you. Gosh. But you can certainly see it. And I want all of our listeners to know that you can go to I've Got a Secret with RobinMcGraw.com, and you'll see an image of this beautiful drink. This is the most colorful smoothie I've ever seen. It's a layered rainbow smoothie with all of the nutrition you need. And it's such a fun drink to share with your children. So, okay, here are the ingredients for each layer. The green is one kiwi, one half banana, two tablespoons Greek yogurt, and a small handful of spinach. The yellow is one mango, one half banana, two tablespoons of Greek yogurt. The orange is one orange, one half banana, and three raspberries. And the red is one half cup raspberries, two to three strawberries, and one fourth cup pineapple juice. You blend each smoothie layer separately and pour it back into its own small bowl. Rinse the blender after each layer. Carefully spoon each smoothie layer into a glass, going from green, yellow, orange to red. Cheers. Isn't this precious oh and gosh. beautiful? That is amazing. That is next that is next level right there. I'm so proud of it. Amazing. I'm going to taste it. First of all, Greek yogurt is my favorite base for everything. <laughs> right. I, Absolutely. I cannot imagine a kid not liking that. I know. Personally. That's proud amazing. So this is in honor of you and kids eating color. Well, I am very honored. That is amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much. So listeners, you must right now go to I've Got a Secret with RobinMcGraw.com and look at this beautiful smoothie that you can have with your children. And I read the recipe. You can tell it's not that hard to make. 
What I love about that is kids love to help make things. Well, you know, not every kid. You'd never, never uh, generalize all children. <laughs> exactly. But what I love about that is that when you help them make a smoothie, they're getting engaged, they're getting exposures to all those foods. They know they're in there and they know that it tastes delicious. What an amazing experience right there. I agree. Thank you. Thank you. So how do no pressure meals, as you call them, help with picky eating? So when you pressure a child and, you know, you've had kids, when you say, oh, you have to eat that mushroom. I mean, what's their, what is their reaction going to be? No way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe you get the kid who, you know, maybe won the kid lottery and you have the kid who says, oh, okay. Right. But most kids, especially kids who tend to be picky, are very strong, wonderful children. And when you tell them you have to do something, they are immediately going to say, mm -mm, yeah. you can't make me. No right? way. So what's the, what is the point of that? That's not a positive exposure. It's, it's stressful for you. It's stressful for them. Instead, you can say, oh, you don't have to eat it. What is your child going to say to you? If you say you don't have to eat it, you just took the wind out of their sails because when you say you don't have to eat it, they, there's nothing for them to say other than, okay, I don't, <laughs> I don't have to eat it. And you know what? Sometimes they may eat it just to spite you, yeah. or at least you've given them an environment where you have allowed them to choose what they're going to eat. That teaches them some important life skills. Hey, they can choose what seems right for them, but also you're teaching them that you are giving them space. You're going to allow them to learn to like it. You can also say, hey, you can eat it when you're ready. Talk about a mindset shift for them and for you because you've just told them, eh, you're not going to eat it now, but I'm guessing you're going to choose to eat it in the future. And that can really make a difference in a child learning to like a lot of new foods. Oh, I love that. That's And it's such a sweet thing. It's such a sweet, loving gesture too. You know yeah, what I would, I would always do with my boys? I'd say, you don't have to eat it, but I'm going to eat it. And I'm going to tell you what, what I feel about it, how I feel about it, and what I'm thinking. I'm eating it right now. And it's Ooh, I'm going to tell you, it's so good. I'm going to tell you what you're missing. Oh, I'm going to tell you what you're missing. But you don't have to eat it if you don't want to. But wow, it's really juicy. It's really tasty. It's kind of like a piece of meat or whatever. You know, I'd, I would always describe right. to them and they'd right. just like, all right, give it to me. <laughs> right. So, I mean, sometimes using those descriptive words for kids can help them want to eat it. If you're saying, oh, this is crunchy. Oh, this is soft. Oh, this is juicy. You're helping them understand what they're going to eat because kids have not had that much experience with foods yet. You can look at a piece of food and you know exactly how it's going to taste or how it's going to feel in your mouth. They don't know. They've maybe only been doing this for two years, three yes. years. And so when you help them understand it, when you show them that it's safe. When you give them space, they start to get all the information that they need to be willing to eat, eat I, foods. I love your suggestion to say, you don't have to eat it though. It's up to you. I love <laughs> right. that. They feel so independent. And I love that. The no pressure, the no pressure. I've also yeah. read that learning the clean plate club as a child can contribute to overeating as an adult. Well, think about it. How many times have you gone to a birthday party or some event and you get this enormous piece of cake and then you eat it all? Why do you eat it all? I mean, 
personally, I don't even like cake. I mean, give me some ice cream or some cookies or something like that. But cake just isn't my favorite. And I can't tell you the number of times I've eaten cake that I don't even like three times as much as I even feel good eating because, you know, sometime back, you know, when I was a child, I thought, oh, hey, I got to finish my cake. So when we are taught so young that we have to finish all the foods, it teaches us to override our fullness cues. And we learn my hunger cues, my fullness cues, they don't matter. I need to look to someone else or try to make someone else happy with how much I'm eating. But at the end of the day, I'm really the only person who knows if I'm hungry or full. And I'm really the expert on that. And we want our kids to be the experts on that as well. Oh, I love that. And I also love that you offer affordable guides and courses about this topic. Yeah, we um, have a very strong commitment to helping parents. And, you know, obviously in today's day and age, affording food is so tricky. I used to work at a food bank and, you know, growing up, my family had just the bare minimum of a food budget. And my mom took that money and wrapped it around the block four times to make it work for our family. And I saw her and I thought, you know what? She was amazing. And so many other parents either don't have those skills or don't have the time to make that happen. And so in 2020, I brought together a team of diverse dietitians. And we created a meal plan to help families feed their children and their families for, at the time, under $500 a month. Of course, now it's going to be a little higher due to inflation. But the goal is to help families stretch their food budgets as far as they can go. And this, this resource called Affordable Flavors, we have partnered with WIC agencies. We've partnered with organizations all over the country to make this available freely to all of their, you know, the people touched by their programs. And it's just so meaningful to see. Now, there's plenty of people who have purchased it and supported other families through it. But to be able to hand a resource to a parent and say, this is how you put together a puzzle that is so hard has benefited so many families. Oh, wow. Philip, just we taped a show yesterday on inflation. And and most of the show was focused on foods and budgets on feeding your family. So that mm -hmm. is so wonderful. So reducing screen time during meals is also tricky. I think a lot of people think it's not a big deal as long as it helps them eat. But you think otherwise, correct? Yeah. So, you know, on the one hand, hey, I live in the real world. I have a real job and I have real children. Right. And as we know, parents need to do what they need to do, especially with so much remote working and, and things like that. So I would never in a million years judge a parent for how they're making mealtimes work. At the same time, if you're really concerned about picky eating during mealtime, or you do have extra capacity to help your child eat without a screen, what you're allowing for is a child to fully engage with their meal. Now, fully engaging might mean them saying, eh, I'm not going to eat that. But you're teaching them over time to become more familiar, to gain those skills that we talked about before, to see it, to hear it, to watch you eating it. 
to get that modeling, so many things that they're getting from actually being able to see their food that it really does pay off to turn out that screen as much as your situation allows you to. When they're watching that screen, their brains are just kind of disengaged, right? So we think about sitting on a sitting on the couch and watching TV and and you know, maybe we're eating mindlessly and we have no idea what we're eating. Well, same things for kids. And what we want is we want kids to tell, oh, am I hungry or am I full? We want kids to say, oh, those are peas and this is how they smell and this is how they look and this is how they feel in my mouth. And over time, it really can help with that picky eating and that ability for a child to eat the amount of food that their body wants. And you can also use that time to talk about other meals that they've eaten, maybe their lunch you packed for them or how they felt about their breakfast and, and other meals that they've you serve them. Sure. And you can have a connect connection time. Like, you know, you're telling your uh, grandkids stories and, you know, we love to tell jokes in my house. My kids are obsessed with jokes from the earliest, you know, from the time they were one and three jokes were like the big thing in our house. And, you know, of course now the jokes are much more sophisticated and they make <laughs> up their own jokes and they, they make us laugh so hard, but Whatever connection you can have with your child, whether it's playing I Spy or again, talking about those colors or um, just making jokes, that connection around food is so powerful. I love that. I also love that your organization talks about breaking diet culture from a young age. How can labeling foods as bad and talking about dieting in front of your children create unhealthy mindsets as they get older? Sure. So when we're talking about diets in front of kids, what we're saying is I, something about myself is not okay. We have more examples of three-year-olds saying they need to lose weight than ever before. And frankly, I'm not okay with the person who sent me a, a direct message on Instagram and said, my daughter said to my, uh, you know, my dad, I can't have chocolate that will make me fat. I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with a three-year-old not being able to enjoy a fun experience of having a piece of chocolate as a three-year-old and instead thinking my weight is a problem. And now she's modeling this, but at the same time, that's going to continue as she gets older. The American Academy of Pediatrics recommends not talking about diets, not talking about weight, not weighing yourself in front of your child, because we want children to feel confident in themselves, regardless of their body size. We want to teach kids to be accepting of people in body sizes that are different from theirs. And this really does need to start early on. We don't need to pass on this idea that there's all these good foods and there's all these bad foods. I mean, who's defining what is a good food and what is a bad food? You know, to a to some of the parents in um, the Better Bites Picky Eating program that we have, we have kids who eat five foods and some of those foods are highly processed. Guess what? Those are life-giving foods to that child who has a really, really, really strong challenge with eating. I am not going to tell that child that that food is bad. It's literally keeping them alive. So 
you know, and the same, you know, fried chicken, fried chicken is a wonderful cultural food for so many people in the United States. And when a child goes into preschool and has to fill out that activity that says, oh, circle the, the unhealthy foods. And one of those unhealthy foods is fried chicken. What message are you sending to that child and to the child who goes home and eats fried chicken? And that is a wonderful, nutritious cultural food for them. You know, I don't believe that we have uh, much business to go around saying this food is healthy and this food is unhealthy. We all know parents across all demographics know that in general, we want our kids to be eating fruits and vegetables. We want them to eat a wide variety of foods. We all know this, but at the end of the day, we go home to our real lives and what is healthy and unhealthy so just really depends on your situation. And so instead of saying, oh, this is healthy and this is unhealthy and this is good and, and this is bad, we can talk about, hey, this is what our family eats. Don't yuck on somebody else's yum. Instead, hey, don't say something bad about your your friend's food. Just know that that may or may not be something that we eat, but we can still be supportive and loving of oh, our friends. I love that. Thank you so much for saying that. I think that's a beautiful message. Thank you. I'd love to talk about your child nutrition fellowship. Can you talk about yeah, that? Yeah. So, you know, I'm a registered dietitian and in the dietetics profession, I want to say, you know, it's 83%, uh, maybe even higher of dietitians are white females. Um, obviously, so am I. So uh, the problem is that is not true of the population in the United States. We have people, uh, we have so many different different people groups. And what we want is a dietetics profession to reflect that diversity. When a person gets to meet with a medical professional that is um, that understands their culture, that looks like them, that is so much more helpful than if I were to come in and try to talk to somebody and we don't seem share the same culture, right? I'm not the expert on their their culture. What am I going to say? You know, I'm going to end up providing, you know, guidance that is unhelpful even. And people aren't going to say have the same health outcomes. The problem is becoming a registered dietitian is is difficult and expensive. And to, you know, you have to get a bachelor's degree. You have to get all sorts of extracurricular activities and volunteer things in order to even get matched to a dietetic internship. That means I'm not going to be able to work. I'm going to have to do these volunteer things instead because it's highly competitive to get an internship. Then I have to do a year-long, mostly or all the way unpaid experience. And soon you're going to even need a master's degree to become a registered dietitian. At the end of the day, this is the profession is attracting people who are well off, who have some sort of access to funding, and who have from the very beginning had all these extra um, perks to their life and to their experience. I believe really strongly that we need to support students um, from all backgrounds and from different races and cultures so that 
um, there can be diversity in the field. So in 2020, we started a child nutrition fellowship where we have a, a student who, you know, is struggling financially and is from one of those underrepresented groups and is planning to become a dietitian. We've had two uh, two fellows come through our program. One is, is still a fellow, but she's now in her dietetic internship. She's amazing. And it's so amazing to be able to really mentor students and provide paid experience. That's really the key paid experience so that they can support themselves and also get that experience they need to get an internship and to be, um, you know, supported and giving, given really amazing experience as they go. Wow. Congratulations that you have taken that on and that you are helping someone that otherwise couldn't do it. Yeah. And, you know, as a result, other other organizations are doing this as well. And we are happy to support any other organization in doing something similar. Oh, that's just beautiful. Can you offer some other words maybe that could help someone that right now is just really struggling because their children just will not eat? First off, you're not alone. There are so many other parents in your shoes. And the second thing is what your child eats does not determine your success as a parent you can be doing a great job and your child may just have extra challenges and may not be eating according to the plan that you had. I love that. I love that. Is there anything exciting coming up for you and kids eat in color? Yeah, we have new courses coming out. We just came out with our new uh, toddler and child feeding course. And we also have um, some amazing meal plans and recipe books coming out for parents. Wow. You all are very, very busy. You can tell that you have a a real true love and passion for what you're doing. Absolutely. This is all heart and soul for me. Oh, I love it. We've come to the place in the podcast that I really, really love, and it's our game of the day. Do you like playing games? I love playing games. So just like our drink of the day, we create a game that's in honor of our guest and our topic, Kids Eat in Color. So the name of our game is called Picky Potluck. <laughs> and in <laughs> honor of Kids Eat in Color, we're going to play a game for picky eaters. I'm going to read off a food item, and we're going to work as a team to think of creative ways you can get this into a child's food rotation. So once we think right. of seven different ways, we'll move on to the next food item. So, wow, let's go. Okay. <laughs> so our first item is cauliflower, which I think could be easy because that's one of my favorite vegetables, number one. Cauliflower. So let's, as a team, think of seven ways to be creative and get this into the food rotation for children. So I'll let you go first. So when I think cauliflower, I think a sheep. Tell a story about a little sheep. Oh, that's very, very cute. You're right. So my first thought was to make it in such a way that a child can hold it and dip it into a tasty dip because I love dipping cauliflower into something they would love to dip it into, which I'm looking at this drink of the day. It doesn't have to be like a healthy dip. Well, I mean, this is healthy, but it could be a sweet dip as well. Like, oh, any sort of dip, our drink of the day. Okay, Mm -hmm. so that's two. What's the third one? 
So my kids love it when I chop it up pretty small and then pour some, you know, some olive oil, a little bit of salt mm. and roast it to the point that it's almost a little crispy. Oh my gosh. They fight over it. Ooh, that sounds so good. Okay. So with that, I'm going to say, take that chopped up crispy cauliflower and sprinkle it over french fries. Ooh. That you bake in the oven. Yeah. They would sure. love that, wouldn't they? That's four. So we need three more. Yeah. How about if we take the cauliflower and make mashed potatoes out of it? For sure. If your child, I would just encourage you not to call them potatoes and have your child help you mash them up so they understand what's going on. Yes. That true. could be a really fun activity. Oh, that's so fun. Okay. You so know, you may, you may think this is really off the charts, but I love to put a little bit of frozen rice cauliflower into oatmeal <gasps> while I'm making it. Now don't hide it because no picky eater likes something hidden in their food, but have your child put it in there. I know it sounds gross. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. But a little blueberries, a little raisins, a little sweetener, whatever. With some of that rice cauliflower, it can be a really nice uh, texture addition, actually. Oh, I love that. Okay, so let's go to the next one. Okay, so uh, let's say carrots. Carrots, I, Ooh, I carrots. love carrots. So I'm going to start off with saying um, sticks of carrots that uh, can be dipped, again, in, in their favorite uh, salad dressing. You can't go wrong with dip. No, I mean, no. dip is the secret sauce, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, I like to cut carrots into kind of um, thick coins. And this is for kids who are over age four, if they're crunchy. And then take a really tiny cookie cutter and you can cut out little shapes. And for sure, stars taste the best. Oh, how cute. Oh, how cute. Okay, so I'm going to say... Cut those carrots up into like coins, like you just said, and um, take two of them and put a piece of white cheese between them, and you've made a mm -hmm. cookie. <laughs> you've made a you've made a cookie. I I wouldn't recommend calling it a cookie because true, true. kids are gonna be like, this is not a cookie. A cookie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm speaking for my second totally son, agree. who's like, no, totally this is agree. not a cookie. Let's call it a um, let's call it a game piece. Yeah. Oh, let's make yeah. checkers. And let's make checkers out of carrots and cheese and mm -hmm. make it, and we could make a checkerboard. So that's three. That's yeah. three ideas. You can also take that, you know, little star that you cut out, yeah. then take an apple, do the same thing. And now you have a puzzle. <gasps> you can interchange the apple and the carrots. I love that. Okay. So, you know, roasted, that's another one. You can't really go wrong with a good roasted vegetable, especially for those younger kids where the raw isn't really safe yet. Yeah. You can, what I like to do, steam roast, which is where you put down some parchment, you put on some carrot sticks, whatever, a um, little oil, maybe, uh, you know, some spices, and then you cover it with foil or a cover and, you know, you put it in there until it smells done. I know this is not very scientific, but this is how I cook. And then it comes out and it has that roasted flavor, but it's also soft enough for a younger child to oh, eat. I love that. I love that. I just thought of one. Okay. You take the whole long carrot and you take a potato peeler and you peel it. And so it comes mm -hmm. out in those really thin curls. 
Yeah. And that then, is a favorite. And of then toddlers. you take a piece of wax paper and you take drizzled something and you draw a round circle eyes and then two eyes and nose and a smile face and you use all those curls as hair. Oh, you could super do that. Cute. You could do that on a plate. And that's their yeah, snack. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so the last one is healthy fats. What would healthy fats be? Like the avocado? Sure. Kids need fat for their brains. Mm -hmm. So especially for those kids under two, any, you know, the whole, the full fat dairy, the full fat cheese, super important. You also have coconut, you have oh, yes. avocado oil. I really love avocado oil because it's got uh, a really um, subtle flavor. Yes. And so it goes nicely in muffins or in it mixed into things. This was a yes. favorite when my son was really struggling to gain weight because I could mix it into just about everything, including, you know, yogurt, oatmeal, yes. you name it. I mixed it in. Um, also olive oil. I mean, kids can dip that. They You can drizzle everything. But when you do have a a child who is growing, who needs energy, who needs this for their brain development, adding fats and adding a variety of fats, because we know when you add variety, you're getting all sorts of different nutrients. We really help boost their nutrition. Yes. I'll tell you one of the favorite things that my grandchildren love when they come over is I take a, a whole wheat bagel and I slice it and I scoop out all of the extra bagel on the inside. So it's really just the shell of the half bagel. I take an avocado and mash it up. I mm. add olive oil and some sea salt. And then I put it, I toast that bagel. And then I put that down inside the bagel. They love it. They like it for breakfast. Oh my they gosh. like it for lunch and they like it for a snack. It is delicious. I hope that I can come over to your house and have that because it sounds really, it really amazing. Really <laughs> delicious. So, and I just covered our last one was foods with nuts, avocado, and seeds, because sometimes mm -hmm. I will add sunflower seeds, chopped up sunflower seeds, chopped up pistachios to that avocado mm -hmm. mixture inside that bagel. Oh my gosh. They love it. And also, you know, even with the little ones, when they can't really have nuts yet, and it's choking hazard, you can grind up those nuts, Ooh. those hemp seeds, those chia seeds, that flaxseed, all those things, you can grind them up. And then you can add them to applesauce, to yogurt, yes. to the avocado mixture, to yes. whatever your child is into eating. And it adds so many of those, those fats and yes. um, that nutrition. My favorite breakfast is when I literally grind up walnuts till it's almost mm. powder fine and blueberries and put it in my Greek yogurt. It is so delicious. Mm. That so sounds delicious. so good. I'm hungry for it right now. <laughs> so sadly, that brings us to the end of this episode. And I'm really sad about that because I've had so much fun. It's been so interesting. But before we wrap up, I need to ask you one final question. This podcast is all about sharing life-changing secrets. So do you have one major secret you've learned that you'd like to share with the listeners? I do, but it's kind of funny and also kind of crazy. Oh, so I, um, I had a hard time after my son was first born. I was just, you know, really struggling to make it all happen. And I did not clean the bathroom for... <laughs> about a year. And guess <laughs> what? Guess what I learned? What? I learned that you cannot do something that you previously thought was important and you can survive <laughs> and you can thrive 
and you can move on. And I feel like that experience has informed everything I do. When I wake up, I think of that parent who just had a baby, who can't clean the bathroom, who's struggling feeding them. And I think, would this parent feel good if I gave them this message? I love it. That is beautiful. I, I want to add to your secret. I don't think I made my bed for the first year Jay was oh, born. <laughs> do people do that? <laughs> yes. Yes. Like who, who needs to come into my bedroom anyway? I may oh, want to crawl back sure. in it. <laughs> so yes, yeah. I believe in not making the bed. This has been so wonderful. So can you please tell the listeners where to find you and Kids Eat in Color online? Yeah, we are at kidseatincolor.com and we are on, you know, all the social media channels. You can join our millions of followers on Instagram, on Facebook, on TikTok, all the, all the cool places. Oh, that's fantastic. And Secret Squad, as always, head on over to I've Got a Secret with RobinMcGraw.com for more from this episode. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.